Good morning. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Welcome to a Tuesday. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. Well, quite an amazing Monday night football game in the opening week of the NFL season. The New York Jets experienced early in the game the lowest of the lows. And then at the end of the game, the highest of the highs, I guess you could say. The New York Jets pulled off one of their most exciting and unlikely victories in years and still, still could not completely enjoy it. And uh, Aaron Rodgers, who they signed in the uh, offseason to a big contract, contract after a long career with the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers was knocked out of the Jets' 22-16 overtime win over the Buffalo Bills just four snaps into his debut on Monday night with what Coach Robert Sala said is believed to be a left Achilles tendon injury. And you never want to hear those words. You never want to hear something wrong with the Achilles tendon. Uh, Rodgers was sacked by Buffalo's Leonard Floyd and fell awkwardly on his leg. Salah said the 39-year-old Rodgers would have an MRI on that leg today after x-rays during the game were negative. So it kind of uh, cast a pall over the game. Uh, but then in the end, rookie Xavier Gibson returned to punt 65 yards for a touchdown and uh, that, that uh, was a, a Jets victory come from behind win in overtime over the Buffalo Bills, who many regard as one of the top teams in the AFC and in football in general. Josh Allen, the star quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, not a good night, not a good night, as he was intercepted three times, all the interceptions by Jordan Whitehead. Of the Jets. So the thrill of victory and the agony of losing perhaps uh, their quarterback for the rest of the season or at least for a long period of time for the New York Jets uh, last night in their 22-16 overtime win over the Buffalo Bills. It picked up the paper uh, this morning, the Concord Monitor, and above the fold... Development planned at Steeplegate. How about that, sports fans? Finally, after all these years, development planned at Steeplegate. An article by uh, David Brooks in the Monitor this morning. The owner of the Steeplegate Mall submitted plans to the city of Concord proposing to tear down most of the sprawling shopping complex as well as the Regal Cinema next door, creating a large a larger, should say, mixed-use development of retail buildings and 625 residential units in their place, which is uh, certainly needed. Steeplegate Mall Realty submitted to the city an application for a comprehensive development, development plan. 
which is like a concept plan. It is scheduled to be heard by the planning board at its meeting in October. Details are still in flux, but the sweeping proposal would replace most vacant portions of the mall, as we know, of which there are many. Uh, leaving the J.C. Penney as a standalone structure and the current trampoline park, as well as the current health club, as another standalone. The Zoo Health Club would have to be moved to em- an empty space most recently occupied by a charter school that was once part of the Bonton store. The Regal Cinema Building would be demolished. Plan calls for five residential buildings to be built throughout the property, each four or five stories tall, uh, tall with a total of 625 units. Half would be one-bedroom units, half two-bedroom. A 173,000-square-foot retail building would be built approximately where the main entrance leading to the former food court, with where the large clock now stands, like in back uh, of the mall. That is about one-third the size of the current mall. Several other standalone retail units are proposed in the plan, including one replacing the Regal Cinema. Most of the property would remain or be turned into uh, pavement or buildings with hundreds of parking spaces shown. Uh, Andrew Pernard, who's been on this show, he's the owner of the Hatbox Theater, said little information has been provided to the few tenants that are left in the mall, but uh, Andrew went on to say, we would love to stay. I'm glad that something is being done with the property. I'm actually uh, cautiously optimistic that when I do talk, to those who uh, run the mall and uh, the developers, they'll realize the value of having a theater. It's really frustrating when we've programmed performances through August of next year and uh, not been able to get communication out of anybody. That, according to Andrew Pernard of the Hatbox Theater. Steeplegate Mall opened in 1990 near the tail end of the nation's mall building boom with room for about 60 stores, including four anchor tenants, and a large food court. It has struggled for a decade and now has just one anchor tenant, J.C. Penney, while the food court has been shut for many years. Steeplegate Mall was sold in 2016 to Namdar Realty Group of New York, which has been looking for alternate uses for the slowly emptying structure for years. The interior of the mall was shut in September of 2022, evicting the five remaining tenants. The tenants that remain, uh, J.C. Penney, the Zoo Health Club, Hatbox Theater, and the new Pickleball Complex all have separate entrances. The nearby Applebee's Restaurant and TD Bank Building are separate properties and would not be impacted by the proposed redevelopment, which is uh, certainly needed. Uh, in that area, I mean, it's such a prime piece of real estate, which is, uh, you know, pretty much gone to waste. I mean, except for some uh, some theater goers and pickleball players and uh, patrons of of J.C. Penney, but uh, for the most part, it's gone unused. There were other stores that were there that, uh, as the article mentioned, uh, were evicted. So we shall see if this uh, passes the muster of the uh, planning board in the city of Concord. And uh, that'd be a good place for a casino, right? 
But uh, housing is, you know, you know the, the need for housing in this area, Concord and uh, virtually all of New Hampshire, pretty much we can say all of the country, there is a great housing shortage. But 625 units would be a start and a great prime location, great uh, great location with uh, many, many stores in the nearby area, stores and, and restaurants, things to do. Uh, so uh, that would be a terrific addition to the city because right now uh, the Steeplegate Mall is doing uh, very little uh, in terms of, uh, of business, you know, except for the aforementioned uh, places that are still open. So we'll see what happens in that uh, October meeting of uh, the Concord Planning Board. Also in the news, uh, former Republican State Senator Andy Sanborn now seeking an appeal to losing his gaming license after an investigation by the Attorney General's office alleged that he misused COVID-19 relief money. Sanborn has requested a hearing before the Lottery Commission to discuss what was found in the suitability review. A state investigation found evidence that Sanborn fraudulently took a COVID-19 loan for more than $800,000. $800,000. He's accused of using those taxpayer dollars to buy two Porsche sports cars and a Ferrari. The attorney general said the Ferrari was for his wife, Lori Sanborn, who is a state representative and head of the House Ways and Means Committee in the the legislature. The attorney general's office has opened its own criminal investigation, including a review by the Public Integrity Unit that would focus on Lori Sanborn. The attorney general's office found that Andy Sanborn, who was also the owner of the Concord Casino, is not suitable to be associated with charitable gaming in New Hampshire, which is the focus of Andy Sanborn's appeal. A date for the hearing has not been set. Hey, we have a guest coming up at 835. And uh, I'll tell you what, this guy has done it all except play. Uh, in the National Football League, Michael Lombardi. That name will be familiar to football fans for sure. The new book he has written is Football Done Right, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and the history of the National Football League. He will be joining us uh, about 8.35 right here. Kale and Company Live, WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental, and we will be right back. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential campaign is claiming that the Democratic National Committee is trying to quash its efforts to challenge President Joe Biden and allow him to easily win the 2024 presidential nomination for the Democrats. Unfortunately, it appears that the DNC has created a class of pledged delegates called party leaders and elected officials. They're called PLEOS, P-L-E-O-S. 
who are essentially the same as superdelegates due to the amount of control the party exercises over elected officials. That's according to a former representative, Dennis Kucinich, out of Ohio and Kennedy's campaign manager. This puts the DNC once again in the position of overturning the will of voters across the United States. It is unclear how overturning the nation's majority vote could be interpreted as trusting the people. That, according to Dennis Kucinich. The campaign said the DNC's proposed recording of state primaries, or I should say reordering of uh, state primaries, to penalize states that did not vote for Biden in 2020, including, of course, New Hampshire, would discount the votes of millions of Americans and limit the ballot access of millions more to mail-in voting only. The DNC's actions mirror what it did in 2016 when it appeared to favor Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders for the presidential nomination. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy uh, Jr. said uh, on Friday that there is some really wild things that they're now considering, including forcing me to actually pay for primaries. And their logic is that they don't need a primary because they already have a candidate, end quote. The DNC at Biden's assistance Move South Carolina to the top of the 2024 primary schedule on February 3rd, and its rules say if states do not abide by the new schedule, they could be penalized half their delegates at the national convention. Biden also said he might not appear at primaries that occur before South Carolina. Iowa's caucuses, which traditionally kick off the presidential election season, would be moved down the line. New Hampshire and Nevada would be second on February 6th and Georgia next on February the 13th. But as we know in this state, a New Hampshire state law says it must be the first presidential primary. And Georgia state law says it must hold the Republican and Democratic primaries on the same day. Georgia's GOP presidential primary is set for March 12th. The campaign said Kucinich sent two letters last week to DNC Chairman Jamie Harrison requesting a meeting between Kennedy and Harrison to discuss voter rights and the protection of the people's voice. Kucinich said uh, Friday that Mr. Kennedy wants to make sure that every Democrat who votes in a primary, that their votes will count and that if you win a primary, you win the delegates. He said, I know that sounds like a novel idea, but as Mr. Kennedy has pointed out, the DNC has arranged it so they can put extra delegates and stuff the ballot box in a primary. And effectively, even if Mr. Kennedy were to get 60 to 70 percent of the vote, hand the election to Mr. Biden. You can call this a heads-we-win, tails-you-lose approach, but I don't think the American people will buy it. So all kinds of controversy surrounding the, well, of course, first the Iowa caucuses, which usually come first, followed uh, the week after by the New Hampshire primary. That has all been uh, 
uh, blown out of the water, if you will, uh, by the DNC, who at uh, Joe Biden's assistance, insistence, I should say, and assistance, uh, wanted it to be moved ahead of the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary. So we shall see how it all plays out. And uh, this state is impacted by that, of course. So uh, we will uh, be following that story very closely. In the meantime, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. continues quite a presence in the state of New Hampshire. And, of course, many many Republicans are uh, Republican, uh, are uh, campaigning here in the state of New Hampshire. The Republicans will hold uh, their primary for sure. Uh, I, I'm certain before South Carolina. I don't think there's any doubt about that. No matter when it has to take place, uh, you can uh, be certain that the Secretary of State, Mr. Scanlon, will uh, move it ahead of South Carolina. Not necessarily the Iowa caucuses, but the uh, South Carolina primary, which the Democrats want to have uh, first in line. But of course, uh, we shall see how it all plays out. In any case, we know that uh, former President Trump has a huge lead uh, among the Republican primary candidates, the presidential hopefuls. And we'll see if that uh, remains uh, to be the case. Nikki, ha- Nikki Haley seems to be uh, rallying right now. And uh, Ron DeSantis has been, uh, I don't know, it's, it's sort of at a stalemate, I guess. Uh, it, it seems like uh, his, his numbers have been uh, pretty much the same uh, since the polls, uh, you know, were taken, uh, you know, even a year ago. Doesn't seem to be much movement uh, for DeSantis. Uh, Tim Scott has been, uh, has been moving up uh, slowly but, but surely. Uh, Mike Pence really hasn't moved the needle uh, too much. But as they say, it's still early. It's only September. Primary will uh, probably be in January. So we'll see how it all plays out. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. And uh, as we mentioned uh, before the break, we have an outstanding guest coming up after the 8.30 news today, and that is going to be Michael Lombardi. Michael Lombardi, not by the way. I know when you hear Lombardi, uh, the man you think of is Vince Lombardi, the longtime coach of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, It is not. Uh, any relation. Mike, Mike Lombardi is no relation to uh, Vince Lombardi, the legendary Packers coach. Uh, today is Tuesday, the, uh, September the 12th, and it's, I don't, I don't understand this, but it's National Ants on a Log Day. National Ants on a Log Day, and it features, in the picture I'm looking at, uh, sliced celery with cheese, and it appears to be raisins. And they call that National Ants on a Log Day. Okay. It's National Chocolate Milkshake Day, National Day of Encouragement, National Policewoman Day, and it's also National Report Medicare Fraud Day, Video Games Day. And National Hug and High Five Day. So 
There you have it for this day, Tuesday, September the 12th. I want to remind you that uh, next week we are going to have our second Local Musicians Week here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Music will overtake the talk uh, next week at this hour anyway, between 8 and 9 in the morning, and when we repeat the show from uh, 7 to 8 in the evening. And uh, we have lined up some great uh, musical talent for next week. We have uh, so much musical talent uh, in this area, and we have uh, arranged to have some of the best uh, right here on WKXL uh, next week. And we'll run uh, that uh, Musicians Week from uh, next Monday through the following Monday here on WKXL. It is Kale and Company Live, and we are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan very easily at Delta Dental CoversMe.com. Red Sox and the Yankees were washed out last night at Fenway Park. Hey, if you ever wanted to see a Red Sox-Yankees game cheap, you can do it this afternoon at Fenway Park because they're making up last night's rain out at 135. If you uh, go on the, uh, the ticket apps out there, StubHub, Ticketmaster, whatever, tickets are very cheap for this afternoon. So you can see the Red Sox and the Yankees at Fenway. They have another game tonight at 7:10, and the Fisher Cats will open their final homestand of the year uh, tonight against the Yankees Double-A affiliate, the Somerset Patriots at Northeast Delta Dental Stadium. First pitch tonight will be at 6:35. Take a break, and then we'll be back with Michael Lombardi. Uh, Michael Lombardi, the author of Football Done Right, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and history of the NFL. Back with Michael Lombardi right after these words on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Stay with us. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We're presented by Northeast Delta Dental and very pleased to welcome to the program on this Tuesday morning, the pride of Ocean City, New Jersey, Mike Lombardi. <laughs> Mike, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Uh, thank you. I, I wish that were true. I, I, I'm not even in the ocean. See, we have one bookstore in town. I can't get in there, so I don't think I'm the pride of the city for some reason. I don't know what I've done to offend them, you know, but they have no use for me whatsoever. But we'll move on. Uh, I don't. I don't. I can't imagine that's true. But and, and it is true. It is. <laughs> it, it, it bothers me to no end. Michael has a, a great. Great new book out for old-time football fans like myself. Football done right, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and history of the National Football League. And before we get into the book, uh, Michael, your reaction uh, to what took place last night uh, in New Jersey at the Meadowlands. In the spirit of the book, which which strives on history, I can remember being a a fat kid in a basement of my uncle's house in Wilmington watching Washington play the Giants and Sonny Jurgensen limped off the field with the, the old man's torn Achilles and my heart as a Redskin fan went in my chest. It, it felt horrible. And then when I was in the league in 1993, Dan Marino 
through a pass and reached for his lower leg. It's kind of similar to what happened to Rodgers last night, and he walked off the field with a torn Achilles. So I've seen this before. Uh, Miami went 9-7 and seven with Scott Mitchell that year as he replaced them, didn't make the playoffs. Washington put Billy Kilmer back in the starting lineup because he was at times the starter, and they went to the Super Bowl. So it's devastating, and it feels so brokenhearted for Jet fans who just seem to be kind of struck with bad luck. And, you know, they've got him to a guaranteed contract, and at 40 years old, it's hard to come back from Achilles. When Marino got hurt, he was 33. When Jurgensen got hurt, he was 38. So there's a big difference. Yeah, and of course, you think of that Monday night injury uh, with uh, Joe Theismann uh, being tackled yeah. by Lawrence Taylor in that game. And, and of course, uh, you know, Tom Brady uh, went down uh, one season on uh, one of the first plays of the game against Kansas City. Matt Castle took over uh, and did a great job, but the Patriots didn't make the playoffs that year. Yeah, and, you know, this is going to be harder because teams are now, you know, when, you, when the young quarterback comes in off, off the bench and Zach Wilson, give him credit, you know, he probably didn't get very many reps. He didn't know what, you know, what all was going to transpire. Comes in and, and did a good enough job. But the problem you get into is teams now will re, will start to prepare for the offense with Zach Wilson. And, and that becomes a little bit more complex. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, focus on your book now because uh, it is terrific and just out. Uh, even though it's not available in Ocean City, New Jersey, I'm, I'm sure it'll be available in New Hampshire soon and uh, on Amazon and all the other places that uh, you can go and get your books these days. Uh, the foreword is uh, by award-winning sportscaster Jim Nance and endorsed by, by many, including a man that uh, you worked with closely for a number of years, uh, Bill Belichick, and uh, you go way back with Coach Belichick. When, when did you first meet? Well, we first met in 1991 when he became – well, actually, we first met in 1989 at the Hilton Hotel on Government Avenue in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, he interviewed for the head coaching job of the Cleveland Browns that year at a table. We were over coffee, and I met him that day. And then in 91, when he finally got the Browns job as the head coach, that's when we kind of formed our partnership and became – uh, friends, and I'm lucky to have him as a friend in my life because I've learned so much from him. My first book, Red Iron Genius, was a lot about him and the, the culture he was building in Cleveland and the culture that he eventually built right there in New England. And you have uh, three Super Bowl rings to your credit, uh, two with Bill Belichick's Patriots and uh, one with San Francisco. Yeah, I was fortunate. I came in the league my first year in the league. Talk about serendipitous. I, I win a Super Bowl, go 15-1. and one. I thought life was always going to be like that in football and little did I know it takes a long time to get back there it took from 1984 to 2014 to get back there 30 years so uh it's not easy it's hard to win regular season games it's hard to win playoff games it's hard to win in the NFL and I think this book is reflective of how hard of a job some of these coaches have that often get overlooked you know Marty Schottenheimer's won 200 career and regular season games he's one of eight men that have done that out of over 500 who call themselves head coaches, and he can't get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that, that is uh, very true. So how, how long is it going to take the Patriots to get back? You know, it, it was a funny game on Sunday. I thought they, you know, they had many opportunities. And when you watch the game closely and study the tape, they had more than enough opportunities to win that game. They started so many young players. I mean, 
There's two rookie guards that started. One was a defensive tackle two years ago at UCLA. The other played right tackle the whole entire preseason. So, and they ended up playing pretty well. They, they're a young, young team, and, and I think they've got a great, great future. They, Mac Jones has to protect the ball better, and they've got to be, they have to make plays in the clutch. You know, I watched that tape this morning again, and, you know, there were so many plays there to be made that you just, you know, Brady would have made that play. Brady would have made that play. Yep. Brady would have made that play. You kept saying to yourself, they just got to find somebody that will make that play, and hopefully it's Mac. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, give them credit. They had a few drop balls as well that, that could have easily been completions. No question. And if Bote gets his second foot down, they've got a chance. That, yeah. You know, I think the holding penalty really affected them. Uh, I don't know where I could ever find the holding call when they got the ball deep down into their territory. So, look, that's the game. You know, calls go against it. Football is a funny sport, right? It's going to come down to one or two plays per game and you have to make or the other team makes. In this case, Philly didn't really make them. New England didn't make them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. They beat themselves for sure, especially in, in the early going when they gave up those quick 16 points and dug themselves a hole. Well, you, you played college football as a defensive lineman and a long snapper at Hofstra. Did you have uh, any aspirations of uh, playing in the NFL? No, I knew I was. I knew I wasn't gifted enough to do that, but I knew I wanted to be in the NFL, which is where I started my journey. I wanted to make sure that I understood that I, I was a part of it. And I, in college, I would drive all over the country uh, in my little Toyota Tercel and try to go to as many coaching clinics as I could to learn about football and understand the game. And, and because I knew I wanted to be part of it, and even though I played in college. You know, I needed to understand the game at a higher level, and that's what I tried to do. And hopefully, you know, that's what worked out. I was able to make contacts and meet people. And your first job was at uh, UNLV. How did that uh, come about? You know, I met a coach, Harvey Hyde, at a clinic in Atlantic City from going to those clinics, and he got the job at, at UNLV. I was still a senior at Hofstra. I remember reading it in the New York Times transaction section. And I just wrote him a note and called him on the phone and begged him for a job. And he said, yes, uh, I was offered a, all the Burger King coupon tickets I could get. I was offered a, <laughs> I was offered no salary, and uh, I took the job. There, there you go. And, and from there, your first NFL job with the 49ers, as you mentioned. Uh, how did that come about? I was working in UNLV, and, the, and one of the director, the college scouting director, came in, and a man by the name of Tony Rosado, and said Coach Walsh was looking for somebody that could help in personnel and help in help do things for him. And and I was just at the right place at the right time. My life is very serendipitous, and I was fortunate, and I got in the job, and I got the job, and and. I've been in the NFL pretty much ever since, and I'm grateful because my formal education came from Coach Walsh. I mean, what a better teacher than him. Right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you, your book is incredible, especially for those of us who can you know, appreciate you going uh, back in time and uh, your, your lists of your 100 top players of all time, your top 10 coaches. You not only uh, bring back great memories but uh, also anecdotes that uh, you know most most of us uh, never knew uh, about the yeah. uh, the best of the best in the in the NFL. That's what I try to do on each player. You know, how many times can you say a great player is great? You know, and I wanted to kind of you know highlight some of the stories that I don't think people knew about. You know, for example, Joe Montana was really close to becoming a Chicago Bear when Bill Tobin, the general manager of the Bears 
went to the draft. On the morning of the draft, his wife kissed him on the cheek and said, make sure you draft Montana if he's there in the third round. And his, and Tobin told his wife, if he's there in the third round, we will take him, I promise you. Well, he was, and they took Willie McClendon. So I'm sure he's had a hard time living with that his whole life. Yeah, so I, wanted, sure. I wanted to tell stories like that about the players, about the insights of the game, and what makes players so special. Absolutely so. Our guest is Michael Lombardi. His new book, Just Out, Football Done Right, Setting the Record Straight on Coaches, Players, and History of the uh, NFL. And, uh, Michael, can you stay with us? We have to take a quick break. You bet. All right. We'll be right back with Michael Lombardi right here on uh, Kale & Company. WKXL NHTalkRadio.com presented by... Northeast Delta Dental. Stay with us. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. Our guest, Michael Lombardi. Football Done Right is the book, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and history of the National Football League. I mentioned uh, he lists in the, his 100 top players of all time. I love the caricatures, too. Who, who did that? Who did the artwork on this book? The publisher, Hatchet Publishing, they did a, did a tremendous job with it, and I'm very happy with everything uh, in terms of from, you know, when you're a writer, when you write books, it's it's always challenging. Uh, the editing process is always hard. You know, they, you feel like the editor's working against you instead of for you, but in this case, I think they really did a tremendous job of, of with the characters and, and then also with helping me shape the book where it became a very readable book. Uh, you know, I'm a football guy by nature, not a writer. So, you know, it made it, so this is my second book, but it made it, I thought a better read and how we set it up. Well, I'm, I'm a football fan by nature and, and not necessarily a reader, but this one is great. I mean, really, it really is. Uh, sometimes my attention span isn't all that great, but this one uh, <laughs> keeps my Thank attention you. and it's a real page turner in my opinion. And uh, I, I will give our listeners a hint at the uh, top two players on your top 100 list. And they were both coached by Bill Belichick. Yeah, not hard to figure out, right? I mean, both of them made a difference in the league, and both of them stand the test of time and will stand the test of time. I think this list will be ever will not be static. It will change from course to course. There's some players that are still playing that weren't involved in the top 100 that ultimately will eventually show back up. But uh, you know, it, it's it, I think some players age differently as time goes on, and and. Uh, but those two are always going to be in the top two, no matter what happens. No doubt. And uh, number two is LT, Lawrence Taylor. Number one, TB12, uh, Tom Brady, who, as we found out the other day, uh, will be inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame on uh, 6 12, 2024. Very appropriate. Yeah, he doesn't have to, he shouldn't have to wait five years to get in, and he shouldn't have to wait five years to get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, because th th this is what we're talking. I mean, this this man is just he kind of changed Patriot history. He changed uh, NFL history. Uh, you know, people said in the day you couldn't have a dynasty and you couldn't win that many titles in a row. And I think that, you know, between the partnership between Belichick and Brady, you know, they could and they proved it. And Brady's selflessness in a cap era, willing to take less money and for the good of the team, spoke volumes. And I think that uh, that just shows you the character of the man. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, 
Speaking of uh, great coaches like Bill Belichick, uh, you you worked uh, with a number of the uh, top ten coaches that uh, that you listed uh, in your book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I was influenced as well because when I would get on the team bus with San Francisco, I, I sat on behind Coach Walsh in case he needed me to do something, and and uh, and he was always doodling Clark Shaughnessy plays. And he was always looking at that, and he was always trying to figure out a way to improve. He was curious. He was always trying to improve his game. And I, I didn't know who Clark Shaughnessy was at the time, which made me want to learn about him and talk about him and study him, which I did, which is kind of how this book was created and got started. Well, your number one uh, coach of all time uh, in your book is Paul Brown of the, the Cleveland Browns. And as you put it, uh, Brown never really considered himself a coach, but instead uh, a teacher. Yeah, he was. And he was the Bill Gates of coaching. He provided the infrastructure. He provided the software. He provided the way to become a professional. And that that's something that we all owe in debt to, because as these salaries in the NFL continue to rise for coaches, you know, Brown was the one who was able to turn the profession into a full-time profession. It used to be they had to sell insurance in the off-season. They had to sell cars. They had to do a bunch of different things. And he turned it into a full-time profession by by advancing the technology of the time for the game. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, he, he certainly was ahead of his time. Uh, was it tough? I mean, this is going to uh, create a lot of uh, you know arguments in, in, in bar rooms <laughs> and other places across, across the country. Uh, was it tough to... Uh, I mean, it had to be very difficult to pick out the top four or five. Uh, you have yeah. uh, Brown, number one, uh, Vince Lombardi. I know no relation to you, Michael. And uh, Bill Belichick, one, two, and three. Uh, was, was it tough, uh, you know, to decide one, two, and three in, in particular? Yeah, it was. You know, when I went back and forth, I've had a lot of drafts. Like all writers, I kind of went through it, tore it up, started all over again, went back again, and you know, I think Joe Gibbs is one of those coaches that, you know, I wanted to put higher, but it was harder. I think he's tremendous. I have such great respect for him and what he was able to accomplish. But, you know, you have to settle on it. And, and I just felt like from the first chapter where I discussed the White Oaks, which are the foundational trees in the coaching, I just felt like without Brown, there would be nobody. So it starts and ends with Paul. And then from there, the list really continues. And you can make the case for Lombardi, but Lombardi didn't really have a long career as some of these coaches have today. And then, of course, Belichick is just remarkable. Don Shula being as low as he is surprised people. But I think when you study Shula's career, he had Dan Marino and went four years in a row without making the playoffs and never brought Marino to a Super Bowl after his second season in the league. So, you know, those are the kind of things you have to take into consideration. And I wanted to bring the past to the present. You could say, well, why is Curly Lambeau in there? You know, those guys didn't really coach back then. Well, he was instrumental in the league. He was instrumental in coaching. And he won a lot of games. I mean, he won a lot of games. So you can't ignore it. No, absolutely not. Uh, Michael Lombardi, you have uh, done it all in, in pro football, scout, uh, pro personnel director, senior personnel director, GM, a VP, assistant to the coaching staff, a broadcaster, author, writer, gaming analyst, a host of the Lombardi line. Uh, is there something in football that, that you haven't done that you would like to do? 
Uh, you know, I, you know, I'm going to say this branch, Ricky, the former general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, uh, was, uh, fired at age 77 by the Pittsburgh pirates. Now branch Ricky, for people that don't know, uh, broke the color barrier in baseball by signing Jackie Robinson. He invented the batting helmets. He invented the batting cages. He put in the minor league system. He was also involved with a lot of changes in the game. And they asked him at his farewell press conference, what is his greatest accomplishment? in baseball and he says it hasn't happened yet. So I kind of want to take that approach. I don't know what's happened in my career yet. I think it's all in front of me. Yeah. Well, that, that is good. You're still a young man, Michael. That That is true. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be around some incredible people and learn from incredible people. And I think as we get older, we understand that, you know, we can, we can still make an impact and, you know, maybe not being in the league, I can still help others who are in the league. You know, you mentioned Branch Rickey. I, I just found out like a couple of weeks ago that Branch Rickey played in the NFL. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know I, that. Yeah, and, and, you know, he had such great influence. And what people also don't realize is Al Davis was influenced by Branch Rickey. He was influenced by the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he was influenced by George Weiss of the New York Yankees. Wow. So a lot of these things happen. You know, I was at the University of Michigan the other day, and, and I was built Jim Harbaugh's assistant. I said to him, do you know how you got your job? And, and he didn't know. And his job comes from Al Davis, really, because Al Davis borrowed the George Weiss model of having uh, male traveling secretaries. And and so there, that's what happened at the Raiders. And because of that happening at the Raiders and Harbaugh seeing that at the Raiders, he made, took the same idea with him to Michigan. So what is old really is new. And uh, you worked with Al Davis as well. Yeah, I did. You know, and he was influenced by Earl Red Blake, a, a Dartmouth coach. I mean, people don't realize how great Dartmouth was when Earl Red Blake was the coach up there. Right. You know, college football was different back then. It was the sport. It was the most popular sport in the country. College, I mean, not in, not in terms of baseball, because baseball certainly was, but in terms of football, people loved college football back then. It was way more popular than the NFL. Yeah, no, that, that is true. Uh, since Since the early days of pro football, uh, let's face it, there there has been uh, gambling uh, on the sport. I, I mean, there were gambling scandals back, uh, you know, at the turn of the century uh, in, yeah. in, in pro football. But did you ever think, uh, Michael, that the NFL would have the partnerships they do today with the, uh, the major gaming operations? You know, I, I, I didn't, but I know that, that from writing this book and the influence of Brent Musburger and the influence of Jimmy the Greek that really launched this game into another, another way, right? I mean, television, the powerful tool of television, you know, it, it ended communism. It, it, it's really incredible. And so it, it advanced the sport tremendously from, you know, in 1971, before Monday Night Football came on the air, many people, in America, were belonged to bowling leagues on Monday. Bowling leagues on Monday were the most popular thing yeah, in the country. Right. And 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 also TV. It, television in the 70s was appointment TV. You had to be home to watch it. So your calendar was set around what shows you wanted to watch. And because of that, you know, you either bowled on Monday, you bowled on Thursday. When they put Monday Night Football, by three years later, bowling in the country you know, went way down and it no longer was popular on Monday nights because Monday night was can't miss television. It was. And, you know, being an East Coast person like uh, like myself and, and you know, in, in school at that time, I, I hated those nine o'clock starts. I could never stay up till the end of them. But uh, but uh, yeah, neither could I. I tried to sneak in there to see Costell's halftime highlights and hope my mother wouldn't catch me. 
All right, and that was revolutionary at the time as well. But you you have a great section on uh, television and the impact that it's had on the National Football League and uh, Howard Cosell and the aforementioned Brett Musburger and John Madden, of course, and and all three had such such an impact on the popularity of pro football. Yeah, no question. And unfortunately, you know, Cosell and Musburger have never won a Pete Rozelle Award, nor have they been in the Hall of Fame, and they belong. Why, absolutely so. And Michael Lombardi, you belong in the Hall of Fame. I'll tell you what, you you have done it all in, in pro football, and more to come. More to come from Michael Thanks. Lombardi, and the book is Football Done Right, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and history of the NFL. A terrific read. Michael, I really appreciate this book and appreciate you taking the time today to be on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right. Take care. Michael Lombardi, by the way, as we mentioned, not related to Vince. We uh, are done. That'll do it for this edition of Kale and Company Live on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. If you want to hear it again, or if you missed some of it, want to hear Michael Lombardi, he's terrific. Tune in tonight just a little after 7 o'clock right here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. And don't forget to always look on the bright side of life.